It's time for Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. And now your host, Doug Murin. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I uh, uh, want to kind of prep you for the message today. It's about questions Jesus asked, because uh, we, all, we all like to ask God questions, but really, the great question asker is God. And I think you're going to enjoy the message today. So listen close. God bless you as you do. And we're going to continue allowing God to pose questions to us. When I began the series, I informed you that I'd like to invite your guests and bring our own hearts poised to, rather than inquire of God and ask Him questions, to come and allow Him to question our heart and life. Jesus Christ was never too much of an answer man. He didn't really answer many questions at all. And rarely when he did, was he direct. He usually answered a question with another question. It's kind of like the story of the old rabbi when asked by one of the younger members of his synagogue, said, why, why is it that whenever you, we ask you a question, you answer our question with another question? And he said, well, why not? <laughs> was, kind of the way uh, Christ chose to interact with human inquiry. So often we, I know before I uh, met Christ as a freshman in college, I felt that God owed me some answers. And I was very good at stumping him with questions like, you know, when one of his followers would ask me if I was ready to accept Christ, I would say, well, let me ask you a question first. Can God make a rock? is too large for him to move. And I always felt so proud because I really never heard anybody answer that question. And I felt that I had stumped God somehow. And if you wonder what the answer to that question is, if anyone ever says, if God is real, then can he make a rock that is too large for himself to move? You say, that question is so stupid he won't even take time to answer it. <laughs> it's an irrational question. It doesn't match up in the real world. God is a real world person. God is as genuinely interested in the pragmatic and the everyday as you and I are. And that's where he chooses to address his solutions to our life. You will find in reading the New Testament that Christ usually used a question which, when answered honestly, would lead to the answer to the question the person had asked. And so, with that kind of humility in mind, I want to take you to two questions that Christ and God in the Old Testament ask a human being. And I want us to become that person and let God ask us some questions this morning. We have a particular aim that we're wanting to move toward a need, a, a quandary we end up in as humans that, that we want to answer. But let's allow God's questioning of our own hearts to do that, shall we? In Genesis chapter 4, in the ninth, sixth verse of Genesis 4 is our first question. I would like to read the question and then tell you the story. It's far more interesting when I tell it than when you read it in the Bible. But it's the same. It's the same. Just better. But verse 6 
says, Then the Lord said to Cain, or asked Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? And if you do what is right, will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you, do what, you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The context here is, if you've never heard the story, Cain, a vegetarian, Tell my vegetarian friends, Cain was a vegetarian, the first murderer. <laughs> People who eat Big Macs are safe. It's those vegetarians I worry about. If my wife were here today, uh, I would want her to hear that. But Cain presents the Lord his offering of zucchini and oranges and tomatoes. We're not quite sure what it was. It was something, you know, marginally edible. And <laughs> Abel brings a, a lamb as sacrifice to the Lord and burns the lamb at the altar. And the Bible says that the Lord accepted Abel's sacrifice because such sacrifices as recorded in the Bible were to be anticipating the giving of God's own Son, whom he would refer to in the title, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. In this section, Cain has become angry because he feels rejected. He feels unaccepted by God. And he has made the same terrible error that we often do. And that is we shape our life on an inadequate view of God and an inadequate view of ourselves. He didn't realize that God was not rejecting him personally. In fact, he didn't know God well enough. His view of God was so distorted and so misshapened that he could only view God as the great rejecter, which has often happened in our hearts and spirit since Mankind fell away from God, as the Bible shows us, and became alienated from Him and separated from the time of Adam and Eve. We have this pervading sense of rejection, which is not rejection at all. God, because as soon as man fell, God set about a plan where He could enfold man in acceptance. He has been in constant pursuit of us. God is an accepting God, wanting to embrace us and wrap His arms around us. He's not a rejector. In fact, ultimately, God doesn't reject anybody. God doesn't fail to accept anyone. What actually happens is people refuse to accept him and to reject him. So he asks this question, why are you so angry? One of the evidences that we've slid into a rejection syndrome is that we have a pervading hostility and we're really quite angry. Uh, I am pretty certain that most of us here have had some sort of rejection in our life. Then this week, I've had at least three, in fact, it's three men who have come in great agony and explained to me how they've been abandoned by their wives. One gentleman in his early 60s, his wife, he just came home and there was a note. And, and that's agonizing. Usually, it's been the other way around where the man has left and abandoned the woman and there's this deep sense of rejection. Often it's 
the, the parent-child relationship where rejection is developed. And, and I've concluded this. I like to share the good news in, of Christ and the rationality of believing with him, in Him as, as often as I can. I have a lot of friends who are unconvinced at this point, but I love sharing with them. And, and I've read, I mean, I would be conservative to say dozens, maybe even approaching into 100 plus books on apologetics, which are books that you read so you can intellectually prove that God is right and true and they ought to, we ought to be followers of Him. And, but I found an interesting thing over the years. The nearly no atheists actually do not believe in God. There aren't atheists, but probably very, very few, who actually do not believe in God or agnostics who refuse to make a faith commitment to Him really do not exist on the basis of intellect, intellectual conviction. Usually we reject God on the basis of emotion. It's like we've applied this uh, pervading tendency we have to reject before we're rejected to the spiritual dynamic in our life. In other words, let's reject God before he gets a chance to reject us. And it's an awful thing that happens and we begin to collapse and fall apart spiritually until we realize that God is not a rejecter. He is an acceptor. Cain became angry, ultimately the first murderer because of the rejection syndrome in his life. Okay, we're looking at uh, a study here and questions that Jesus asked. Uh, you know, we like to ask God questions, but we forget that Jesus actually was a great question answer. But let me first introduce you to my friend Scott. We got a couple things we talked about. Hey, on the phone, we've got Scott from Faith Life and uh, Lexham Publishers Press, I guess is Lexham Press. And uh, I've asked Scott to, uh, they're, they're kind of partnering with us a little bit on the show. We're going to extend to you some of their products for gifts that you would present to the show. And you can go to our webpage and process all that at dougmurinradio.com. But I wanted uh, Scott to share a little bit. Hi Scott, highlight one of the products they could get off from Lexham Press that, uh, that, is, a, that is a good, a good uh, piece yeah, of absolutely. study material. Yeah, absolutely. So, so one <clears throat> of the things that we had that just came out is a book called Christ Above All. Um, it's in a series of books we have called the Transformative Word Series. And essentially what um, these volumes do is they work through um, a book of the Bible and ask questions about how can we understand the way that those, uh, those texts speak to us today. Hmm. So this book in particular, Christ Above All, is about the book of Hebrews. So that's okay. one that uh, we're really excited about. It just came out pretty recently. Yeah, chapters focusing on who is Jesus. Uh, how do we understand uh, Jesus' humanity? How do we understand the magnificence of Jesus? Wow! How do we understand the Old Testament in Hebrews? It's a it's a great resource, and the like series a is a really excellent series. Great book. As well. so, how yeah. much would that cost to buy? So that one is twelve. That one is twelve ninety nine. Okay. Um, but we also have some other uh, books in that series as well. Okay. Um, and so yeah, there's there's several other um, okay. uh, uh, books in that series as well. So, so yeah. if someone were to contribute to our show, go to our website at dougmearnradio.com and contribute anything. I'm just telling everybody, you know, we're going to make sure Scott sends you out one of these books. And uh, we're excited about being able to offer that. You know, any size gift. We'll, we'll get the, the book in the mail to you. And uh, so... Is that some of your series have gotten some awards? I noticed the other day you got some outstanding materials. Besides that, at your website. Yep, that's right. Yeah, so one of the books, especially to you, that we're just thrilled about. Um, it's beautiful. Came out really well. Um, I use it for my own personal Bible study. Is a book called the Lexham Geographic Commentary on the Gospels. So it's kind of a mouthful. So let me explain it just really. Quickly. You sent me one um, of those. 
and I've I've been working through it. It's a very fascinating approach to the Bible. Absolutely, yeah. So one of the, the way that the, this book works is that it's kind of like other commentaries, you know, where they'll explain certain pieces of the text or something like that. But this one in particular is really neat because what they do is they look at different small passages of Scripture, and especially for this one where we cover the Gospels. But So for instance, we might take the birth of Jesus, the birth narrative. So um, let's say you go to the first chapters of Luke, and uh, you're going to, to a familiar passage you're, you're used to. So for instance, talk about Jesus being born um, in a stable. And so what this, what this book does, and, and the way that these scholars that came together put this together, they really help you to understand, okay, what was the geography of the region at this time? How would the geography have shaped the way uh, that one would have understood the text? So, for instance, um, there's going to be there's going to be an understanding of the first century uh, culture in terms of how roads work, in terms of how stables work, in terms of how some of these things are. And so, what it will do is it's it's really helpful for having a fresh insight and a fresh understanding for passages that we've maybe read um, hundreds of times, even. Right. Having really fresh insights that and, and um, you're not going to normally get from a regular. They're really accessible to everybody. I flipped through them. Yeah, no, and, that's, and, that's, and what's, uh, that's what's wonderful about and it. And if yeah. someone wanted to help the show, I'll tell you, you can go to my Facebook, just simply Doug Murin at Facebook, and I put up the ad, the well, whatever it is, the, the site connection to uh, Lexum and to uh, uh, Faith Life products, and you can go there and spot any number of products for them as well. And the people at Faith Life are being so kind to us on our radio show. They're actually extending support to our show for every cell we get there that's, that's significant. And so I want to encourage all the people who want to see the show, get out there. And we are about ready to go to some other shorter three-minute on FM radio, pure grade, in-your-heart evangelism. And this is going to help us be able to do that. But if you can uh, want to help with the show and you want to grow in your knowledge, Scott and the guys there are ready to, to give you uh, this gift as a thank you from us. So thanks, Scott, for jumping in. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. I'm, we're really honored, really happy to do it. And yeah, if there's anything we can do, definitely check out lexampress.com. That's mm-hmm. L-E-X-H-A-M press.com. And you can learn more about our resources there. Super. Thanks, Scott. We're going to get back to the show now, but I'll uh, be in touch with you again. Absolutely. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Scott. And now back to more Caught on Tape with Doug Murin. Let's go now to the New Testament in John chapter 8, uh, which is a fairly famous section of Scripture. You may remember it from Sunday school. Uh, John 8 contains, and starting in verse 1, the story of the woman we usually refer to as the adulterous woman. The question we would like to begin with that really you're going to find couples with our concern this morning with the question that God asked Cain, why are you angry? This question will help us as well deal with this whole issue of the rejection syndrome that fills our hearts so often. In verse 10, the Bible says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir. She said, and Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And you find Christ asking this question, Who are your accusers? And she couldn't find any. And he says, straight out, I don't condemn you either. And the context that we read this question in is, is a very 
simple one. It's, it's one of great hostility and antagonism. Christ has been presenting God as the forgiver, the redeemer, the one who's seeking out man. And the religious uh, power brokers don't like this because they hear Christ teaching a concept of God that is absent of a commitment to right and wrong. And Christ is having great difficulty convincing them that he's talking about something that understands right and wrong, but rises to a higher application of that. One oriented toward grace. They go and find a woman caught in sin and throw her at his feet. And they ask him this question. They say, Rabboni or Rabbi or teachers, ought not this woman be stoned? As the law says, that if one is caught in the act of adultery, they'll be stoned to death. And so Christ nailed down in their presence and began to scribble in the dirt. We really don't know what he was writing. I've read a number of commentaries that have tried to guess at what he was writing. Many of them disagree with each other. So I've concluded we don't know what he was writing. And the main reason we don't know what he was writing is they didn't tell us. But he was scribbling something that caught their attention, and after a few moments scribbling in the sand, he stood to his feet, looked them all in the eye, and said, Fine, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that the crowd began to dissipate as from the oldest to the youngest, they began to peel off and head home. It's quite insightful that the Bible mentions it was the oldest that left first and then moved to the youngest. There is something self-righteous about youth, isn't there? And as you get older, don't you discover that uh, maybe you aren't so right and perfect after all? How many are coming to that discovery? <laughs> and so Christ looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. And he's asking us the same question. Where are your accusers? Where are those who really will reject you? Henrietta Mears once was accosted by a young woman in her Bible studies in the Hollywood area. And the woman was, young woman was terribly concerned about what people were thinking of her in their Bible study. And Henrietta Mears turned to her and said, Honey, here, here's a lesson you can learn right off. You, you wouldn't worry at all what others were thinking about you if you knew how little they did. I thought that was, that was they liked that at the, the earlier service far better. Where are your accusers? There are none. I'll tell you, your primary accuser this morning is you. God doesn't accuse you. God accepts you. If you're here today and you're beginning to seek Christ, I'll tell you one of the, one of the great obstacles you may be having to leap over this morning is this emotional sense of rejection that you're certain is coming from God to you but it really is within your own heart and mind from some tapes that somehow get in our mind because this world is so prevalently filled with this rejection syndrome. It's just built right into life and we hate being rejected. In fact, psychiatrists say we are born with two innate fears. One is the fear of abandonment, which is another way of saying rejection. And the fear of engulfment, which means to lose our identity in another or to be smothered or something at a primal level. But one of our primary fears that we're born with is this fear of rejection or abandonment. 
It's intensely grilled right into our being. Now, what happens within six months, you acquire a whole wheelbarrow full of fears, and after you, who knows how many fears we've been able to develop in, you know, 30 or 40 years or 25 years or, or more. But the primary fear is this fear of rejection, which taints all of our life. And when it's there, it's a problem. It stops spiritual growth. It stops the discovery of God in our life. It ruins marriages. It causes people to bail out on jobs. It's a fact that there, many of us are being shaped by the rejection syndrome right now at possibly every level of our life. Uh, they'll often refer to it as developing self-fulfilling prophecies where we have individuals, and we probably every one of us have been prone to this one time or other in our life, where we will reject others before they get a chance to reject us. Or we will develop scenarios where we fulfill this prophecy of rejection, and frankly, our lives are a mess because of this rejection syndrome that starts off with an alienation from God, this basic idea that He is unwilling to accept us the way we are. And we, like Cain, have to listen to God ask it this question. Why are you angry? We're often angry because we feel rejected. And then God would ask us, where are your accusers? If you look around, there are none, except maybe you. Well, where does all this come from? Well, a lot of times from tapes. I mean, it starts pretty early. I, I remember the first date I had. Um, and, I, and I wanted to ask, uh, my uncle was uh, involved in Demolay, and, and uh, don't come talk to me about Masonic Lodge. He went to three dances. That's it. That's it. And... Uh, <laughs> And I wanted to take Pam to the, to the, to the, uh, the uh, dance. And Pam was really a neat girl. We were kind of friends. And I really, really thought I'd like to be seen with her. And, and it took me several days to build up the courage to, uh, to ask her if she would like to go to the Demolay dance with me. And it was outside uh, class in the hall. And said, hey, Pam, would you like to go to a dance with me uh, this Saturday night? And she said, no, not really. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of good reasons, like she had another date or there must have been other good reasons <laughs> than, than the ones I thought of, like, is my deodorant failing me? Uh, do I, you know, how's my breath? Uh, maybe I'm just ugly. Maybe I'm dumb. Maybe she hates all of these things. And, and, and then I, I couldn't bring myself to not show up at this dance without a date, so I settled for Diane. I figured she would never say no, because no one else was going to ask her. Well, come on, you do the same thing. Jeez. <laughs> sit there. Sit there and judge me. <laughs> sit there and judge me. And I know you. I know many of you. And you would be far worse. You would start with Diane. <laughs> and this develops and, and we become mean even as we just have for the last, the last few moments. Why? Because of this rejection syndrome. I hated it. I remember the first job search you went on. Oh, I hated that. My dad said, give me all these, all these stupid points of advice. Like, say you can do anything. You'll do anything and you can do anything. I couldn't do anything and I, there were certainly many things I didn't want to do. But I'm out there and I'm looking for a job. 
And I go to the place, and they say, well, we want somebody about your age, but we want someone with cash register experience. Now, where are you going to get an 18-year-old kid with cash register experience unless you give them a chance to learn how to do it? But they said no. Went to another job, and they asked me if I knew how to do such and so. I'd never even heard of it. And finally, I got a job on a machine that apple juice would be shot into. And my job was to take a long metal stick and make sure the cans didn't tip over. That I could do. <laughs> that I could do. But it was such a long search for something I could do. And every no that I received crushed me further. That's the kind of world we grow up in. Sometimes the tapes come from our parents. I know as a parent the temptation to be really hurtful, like your son brings home a report card, five A's and one B. And you notice that this B is in P.E. And you're wondering how a kid gets five A's in things like advanced mathematics, advanced language studies, and gets a B and P. You just know they're screwing around in class. That's what you know. <laughs> and something overtakes you, some demon or something. I'm not sure what it and, and you're tempted to point out the fact that surely they can improve this one grade. Now, I have never done that. <laughs> I have been tempted, but I've never done that. But we grow up in a world where that is the pattern of training often. And we hear rejection when we've tried so hard. Again, that was a message I shared uh, the last couple weeks, a few uh, years ago. Not light years, but it was uh, given to a group of people who were in a serious Bible study about this stuff. Now, uh, these shows, I want to I tell you, are uh, listener-supported. Uh, I have some friends who uh, help cover airtime and some of the expense of, of taping this, but uh, we've got some giveaways we've already shared about it in a, in a show here. You can go to our website called the DougMurinRadio.com, DougMurinRadio.com, probably the best place to go. And, uh, or you can mail any contributions to uh, 1806 Fifth Street, 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington, W-E-N-A-T-C-H-E-E-98801. And I'll tell you, we are raising money for evangelism on a, a different format than the Christian-oriented radio show. We're, we're wanting to do some little spots, three-minute, little short, little sort of like uh, the rest of the story Paul Harvey used to have, only, only sharing the gospel. If you'd like to help us do that, now's a great time, and we'll put it to work sharing the gospel. It's not going to go to any over it. It's literally going to go to cover our airtime here and on there. So thank you for, once again, going to DougMearnRadio.com. And it'll guide you how to how to give there. Really appreciate the gift. If you, if you can give this month, as we've already stated on the program, we've got the product that we'll send out to you. Caught on Tape with Doug Murin is a listener and friend-supported program. Your help with the show and expanding the evangelism events of Doug Murin is appreciated. You can write Doug Murin, Caught on Tape, at 1806 Fifth Street, Wenatchee, Washington, 98801 or online at DougMurinRadio.com.